الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا رسول الله All praises are due to Allah the creator, the cherisher and the sustainer of this universe and may his peace and blessings be upon his noble prophet Muhammad and his descendants and his companions and his followers dear respected brothers and sisters Jazakumullah khairan for coming and welcome in the ninth session of Tadabbur Surah An-Nur or reflecting on Surah An-Nur as you see, this time we started after Asr because uh, Maghrib became uh, late, became at 8.30, but actually next time we will be after Maghrib because there's a, a, an event for non-Muslims here in East London next uh, Friday and I'm supposed to be giving a session before Asr and after Asr. So I won't be able to give this session, session number 10, which is probably the, the session before the last in Surah Al-Nur. So unfortunately, next time, inshallah, we will start a little bit late and we will start after Maghrib, inshallah. Are you all okay with that? Alhamdulillah. Actually, if you want to learn, you have to do a lot of effort. Uh, ilm will not come to you. You have to go to ilm. And my sheikh always used to tell us a poem that says, يَا طَالِبَ الْعُلُومَ بِغَيْرِ كَدٍ سَتُدْرِكُهَا إِذَا شَابَ الْغُرَابُ O you, knowledge seeker, who is seeking knowledge without making effort, you will be knowledgeable when the crow becomes gray-headed. Have you ever seen a crow gray-headed? So no one will become knowledgeable without making effort. <coughs> we will uh, continue... Uh, reflecting upon Surah Al-Nur, the issue is uh, Shaitan made me forget last time few points in uh, Ayah number 52. So uh, we need to go back to Ayah number 52 and com uh, continue reflecting upon it actually. Ayah number 52 says, rajim." وَمَنْ يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيَخْشَ اللَّهَ وَيَتَّقِهْ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْفَائِزُونَ Whoever obeys God and his messenger, fear God and guards himself from him, such are the successful ones. The ayah speaks about two types of God-fearing. It says, يَخْشَ اللَّهَ Fear God وَيَتَّقِهْ and have taqwa. Taqwa means to guard yourself against the punishment of God. But what, still what's the difference between God-fearing and taqwa? What's the difference between God-fearing, khashyatullah, and taqwa Allah? Khashya is from the past sins, from being punished or questioned or held accountable about your past sins. This is khashya. <clears throat> taqwa that's why even some translators translate taqwa in a very nice way they say to guard yourself from Allah's punishment which means to be careful not to fall in future sins so taqwa is to be careful not to fall in future sins khashya is to fear the uh, the punishment uh, uh, about your past sins. But again, this verse says, Whoever obeys God and his messenger. It speaks here about the importance of following Prophet Muhammad's commands. What are Prophet Muhammad's commands? We are not going to meet Prophet Muhammad today he's not gonna come and take and go up the member and speak to us to give us his commands his commands now exist in the sunnah so when you see a verse telling me to obey allah and his messenger it's ordering me to obey the quran and the sunnah so this is something very important to understand that the sunnah is a very important element of our deen if the quran is the sun the sunnah is the moon that revolves around it. It's very important. Without the sunnah, we cannot pray. We don't know how to pray without the sunnah. Allah told us in the Quran to pray, but he didn't tell us the details of prayers, except in the sunnah. The rak'ahs and, 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 and how to pray and what to say in the tahiyyat and here and this and that. 
It's all explained in the Sunnah. But the problem is, there are some people today who keep telling us we should only follow the Quran. And those people are either ignorant of have a, or, they, or have a hidden agenda. They keep attacking the Sunnah and the authenticity of the Sunnah. And they say, we cannot make sure that it's authentic. No, we can make sure what's authentic and what's not. Actually, there are scholars who spend their whole life of a, authenticating the Sunnah. We have about one million hadith of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Al-Bukhari authenticized only 4,000 of them. And Muslim authenticized only 4,000 of them. This doesn't mean that all the rest are not, are 100% not true. That's not true. It means that the rest, we couldn't make sure 100% that the Prophet said them. So we even sacrificed some of the knowledge given to us by Prophet Muhammad in order to make sure that all what we have is Sahih. And Alhamdulillah, in the Sahih, among the hadith of the Prophet, there is enough and it is sufficient, Alhamdulillah. There's a lot of repetition. But there's a lot of scholars who spend their life authenticizing the Sunnah or authenticating the Sunnah. But what is the hidden agenda? Why do they keep attacking the Sunnah? The main target is not to attack the Sunnah. They are attacking the Sharia. Because the Sharia mainly depends on the Quran and the Sunnah. So when they attack the Sunnah and they throw doubt in the hearts of the believers about the Sunnah, then you don't have a Sharia. And if you don't have a Sharia, then you're not even an Ummah. You will always become a parasite living on other people's Sharia, following other people's legislations. But you will not have one because they are attacking a very important element of our religion. So be careful of those people. And the Prophet ﷺ warned us from those people. He said in a hadith that was authenticized by Sheikh Al-Albani, and let me not find one of you reclining on his couch when he hears something regarding me which I have commanded or forbidden and saying we do not know what we found in Allah's book we have followed. Which means I will only follow what is in Allah's book but I'm not gonna uh, uh, follow anything uh, uh, that as you call the Sunnah, the Prophet warned from those people, warned from them. So this is something that was like very important to say actually about the, the last ayah because the ayah speaks about the obedience of Prophet Muhammad And the amazing thing is many of those people who don't follow the Sunnah, they claim that they follow Prophet Muhammad. How? They see him, they meet him. That's what they say by the way. Yeah, he can be seen. Not in, in a dream, not in a vision when you're asleep. No, he can enter now and sit with us. Come on, subhanAllah. This is totally against the Quran. The Quran in verse number 110 in Surah Al-Kahf says, قُلْ إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ Say, I am just a man like you. What is the difference? The verse continues saying, but I receive revelation. So according to the aqidah of Muslims, Prophet Muhammad is a man like us, but he received revelation. We do not receive revelation. That's the only difference. doesn't mean that now after 1400 years of his death, he can come in and sit with us. Come on. Subhanallah. So be careful. Verse number 53. لَإِنْ أَمَرْتَهُمْ لَيَخْرُجُنْ قُلْ لَا تُقْسِمُوا طَاعَةٌ مَعْرُوفَةٌ إِنَّ اللَّهَ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ They swear by Allah, their strongest oath, that if only you would order them, they would march out. Say, swear you not, this obedience is known. Surely Allah knows well what you do. Again, this verse speaks about the munafiqeen, the hypocrites. I counted 
and we will do that together at the last session. We will see how many verses talked about the munafiqeen, how many verses were promoting the surah, how many verses will do this. We will like look at the, the, the surah holistically. But you know, about 20 verses of this surah out of 64 verses talk about hypocrites. They talk about hypocrites and hypocrisy. 30% of Surah An-Nur is about hypocrisy and hypocrisy. And this is one of them. The munafiqeen, they swore by Allah that if Prophet Muhammad orders them to march out to war for jihad, they will go out. And Allah tells him, tell them, swear you not. Don't swear. The, this obedience is known. Either this obedience is known mean because most of the translators translated it. Your obedience is known and between brackets they wrote to be false. This is here at Tafsir. This is the understanding of the Mufassir, which is one of the meanings that can, can, the verse can mean. But literally, the verse says, your, this obedience is known. It doesn't say to be false. Either it means is known to be false, which is probable because they are hypocrites, or it means this obedience is known, which means don't swear. The obedience is known. You want to do something? Really march out. Do it. But don't swear. Okay? So either it means this obedience of yours is known to be false because they are hypocrites, or it means don't swear. This obedience is known. Okay? So don't give false promises. So again, this verse tells us a lot <coughs> about people who look Muslim, uh, sound like Muslims, uh, are dressed like Muslims, uh, their names are Muslims, but they are not really Muslim. And what they say is not what they believe. So again, all these, when I see 30% of Surah Nur is about those people, then it is doing what? Who can tell me? What do you think the message here is? Be careful what? About munafiqeen. Huh? What else? Exposing them. What else? Ah, no, not necessarily. 30% among the believers of munafiqeen. No, no, alhamdulillah, not necessarily. No. Uh, what else? Warning you from being one of them too. So be careful. How, how can I know if I'm munafiq or not? We will talk now about the signs of a munafiq. May Allah guard us from nifaq. The Prophet ﷺ has a very important, authentic hadith narrated by Imam Muslim. It says, Ayatul munafiq thalath. There are three signs for a hypocrite. إِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبٌ He lies when he speaks. وَإِذَا وَعَدَ أَخْلَفٌ He doesn't keep a promise. وَإِذَا اَتُمِنَ خَانٌ وَإِنْ صَامَ وَصَلَّى وَزَعَمَ أَنَّهُ مُسْلِمٌ And he betrays when he is trusted. So the three signs are he lies when he speaks. Doesn't mean that if you lie once, you're a munafiq. But the verse, but, but the, the hadith says, he lies when he speaks, which means he always lies. He lies a lot. So there are people who lie a lot. There are people who lie without even any reason to lie. They just feel bad when they say the truth. SubhanAllah. Maybe they, 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 they think that uh, saying the truth is haram or something. So they, he lies when he speaks. He doesn't keep a promise. Every time he promises, he doesn't keep his promise. And he betrays when he's trusted. And then the Prophet ended the hadith by an amazing word. Even, even if he prayed, and even if he fasted, and even if he claimed to be Muslim. Which means don't be deceived. We in my country were deceived. We were deceived. 
we found that we were infiltrated by people whom we thought them to be very virtuous and very righteous and subhanallah, and scholars and they proved to be not so be careful don't be deceived deal with with everything objectively don't judge people because of how they look don't judge someone because you saw him praying in the mosque someone praised someone in front in the presence of umar al-khattab he told him how do you know that he's good tell me did you see him praying in the mosque that's why you thought he's good he said yes he said you don't know him you cannot judge someone except when you travel with him or when you deal with him with a dirham and dinar but you cannot judge someone like that so be careful don't judge people don't mistrust also people don't have su'dhan because it's also one of the ailments of the heart we will speak about that there is another very good hadith also of prophet muhammad four things that if they exist in anyone he is a pure hypocrite and if one if anyone has one of them then he has one attribute of hypocrisy doesn't mean that he's a pure hypocrite except if he has four of them but if any one of us has one of them then there is an attribute of hypocrisy inside us we have to deal with it quickly number one if he speaks he lies and if he promises he breaks his promise and if he is trusted he betrays the trust and he exaggerates in his enmity in his animosity some people when 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 they have a problem with you they exaggerate so much yani for example we know that there is an imam who was killed in london and then now the people who are taken are people who had some financial dealings with him and they had a problem with him this is exaggeration and animosity yani you have a problem with someone you go and kill him you end his life this is hypocrisy so that's why the, uh, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran told us that when you punish let your punishment be proportionate to the wrong that has been done to you do not exaggerate when you punish someone so this exaggeration is a sign of hypocrisy you find people exaggerating so much in in harming someone just because he did something very uh, very little to them very little harm to them this exaggeration is a sign of hypocrisy a true muslim should be able to forgive and if you cannot forgive then let your punishment be proportionate to the harm that has been done to you but if your punishment is not proportionate then this is a sign of hypocrisy and actually hypocrisy is widespread in the muslim world unfortunately you don't see that in the non-muslim world you don't see the pictures of the president everywhere when you go to an office you don't see the picture of uh, the prime minister of the uk you don't see that but everywhere you go in the muslim world you find the picture of his excellence the picture of his royal highness and the picture of the the uh, crown prince and the crown prince of the crown prince subhanallah this is all hypocrisy and they are all the time praised on tv as if they are angels they don't do any mistakes they're all the time praised on tv always the news starts with their news the first headline in the newspaper has to be about his excellence or his royal highness this is all hypocrisy no matter the news the headline should be about him but when he falls down you see his picture stepped uh, on by the shoes and the same people who are praising him are the same people who go very hard on him on tv subhanallah that's why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us surah al-shu'ara the poets which speaks about the biggest hypocrites 
poets of that time were the journalists of today. Speaking about hypocrisy of journalists. And how did Prophet Muhammad counter this hypocrisy of the hypocritical media at that time by having his Islamic media, his Islamic journalists. So Muslims need journalists. The problem with Muslims is that they just think about themselves, not about their ummah. So everyone wants his children to be either doctors or engineers, doctors or engineers. We need a Muslim journalist. Who's telling his son to be a journalist? See? The Prophet ﷺ had his own Islamic journalism, and they were technically much better than the other journalism. He had Hassan ibn Thabit, Abdullah ibn Rawaha, Ka'b ibn Malik, and others. All of them were the best poets, which means the best journalists. And the problem with hypocrisy is it is the worst. It's even worse than kufr on the Day of Judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nisa, verse number 145, the hypocrites will be in the lowest depths of hell and you will find no one to help them. And no one will help them. Munafiqeen means that their names were Mustafa and Ahmed. By the way, those are munafiqeen. Those are not kuffar. Those are munafiqeen who are technically kuffar. But in life, we see them as Muslims. And hypocrisy is one of the diseases of the heart. Let's quickly review the diseases of the heart. We spoke about the diseases of the heart in the uh, workshop of Tarbiya al-Imaniyya. The, heart, the purification of the heart. But let's go through them quickly. Al-kibr, egotism, is one of the diseases of the heart. Kibr is when you see yourself higher than others, greater than others. It's called kibr, egotism. Al-ujb, pride, when you admire yourself, when you admire your work, when you admire your knowledge, this is called pride, ujb. Al-batar, unthankfulness. Al-ghurur, arrogance. Al-hiqd, hatred. Al-hasad, envy, which is to wish that good things that others have, that they lose. You wish people to lose the good things that they have. Al-intiqam, revenge. Because a Muslim should be able to forgive. So the main attribute of the Muslim is to be forgiving. Like Allah is forgiving. So you always try to uh, attain this attribute of Allah in yourself, to be forgiving. It's true that you can take revenge if once you cannot forgive. And the law allows you to take your revenge by the qasas. You can, but... Usually, you should be able to forgive. If you want to be forgiven, you should be able to show forgiveness towards others. Sarcasm. Sukhriya. Allah doesn't allow us to be sarcastic to each other. Which is mistrust. With no reason. There's no reason to mistrust someone, but you just mistrust him. Why? Okay. This person, I don't, I don't trust him. Yeah, tell me why. I don't know. How come you don't know? How come you say you don't trust someone just like that? Just because you don't like how he looks. This is a, 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 a disease of the heart. Al-khiyana, betrayal. Al-athara, selfishness. The opposite of it is altruism, selfishness. Al-makr, deception. Al-khubth, wickedness. Al-Fudul, nosiness, or curiosity about others' affairs. It's called, this is a, 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 it's a disease of the heart. A Muslim should not be nosy asking about other people's affairs. What happened to our neighbor? Did she get divorced? You don't know why? 
Try to know. Ask someone. Why? Why do you want to know? Why do you care? Riyah. Seeking the admiration of others. You want to look higher than others. You want others to look at you highly. It's called Riyah. Al-Bukhl. Stinginess. Al-Jubn. Cowardice. Al-Ghadab. Anger. Hubbu al-Shahawat. Lustfulness. Al-Buhtan. Slander. How can we treat heart disease? Number one, we need to know that it may be from shaitan. And in this case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ فَاتَّخِذُوهُ عَدُوًا Satan is your enemy, so take him as an enemy. Treat him as an enemy. The problem is, we don't treat shaitan as an enemy. We allow him to whisper to us and to continue whispering and whispering and advising. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, as soon as you start hearing a whisper from the shaitan, quickly, quickly, seek refuge with Allah. So treat him as an enemy. But the problem is, most of the ailments of the heart are not from shaitan. It's from inside, from the ego. So you need to wage war or jihad against your ego. This is what we call jihadun nafs. Spiritual jihad. By practicing the opposite of the disease. So if you find that you are stingy, exaggerate in spending until you treat this problem with you. If you are like, you found that you are uh, uh, selfish exaggerate in altruism until you balance yourself and so on if you find that you're you get angry quickly exaggerate in making yourself patient i'll tell you something i know someone who <coughs> uh, sought his diseases of the heart and he was given advices he told me because there are ways to find it the best one to find it for you is yourself. You can sit with, with yourself and start thinking about your attitude and your behavior. And, and you if, you, if you are truthful with yourself, you will find your own diseases. And that is also through your friends, through your brothers. A believer is a mirror for his fellow believer. And you see in the mirror your shortcomings which means that we should advise each other. So you, you bring a, a, a brother uh, who's close to you and you tell him, Wallahi, Wallahi, I will not have any bad feelings against you. Wallahi, I will have no hard feelings. Please, I beg you, tell me my shortcomings. Tell me what do you think I should change in myself. Encourage him to speak. So I know someone who was told that he is very impatient. He always wants things quickly and he doesn't have any patience. So he wanted to do that. So what did he do? That was like a long time ago. And in Egypt, uh, it was in Cairo. It was so, there are some streets that are very crowded. In, during the rush hour, you can spend like two hours in your car in that street. You can't move anywhere. So he used to take his car during the rush hour and go to that street. And as soon as he reaches the street and he sees like millions of cars like that, he says that, yes. He, he starts to, to, to force himself to feel like he's happy that he's going to wait. And he keeps waiting. And every time he feels like, ah, he says like, no, patient, be patient. He did it two, three times. And then he, he's, this is the issue. You need to treat yourself by doing spiritual jihad against your own uh, shortcomings by doing the the opposite. But also, when you sit with yourself and you want to know if you have any hypocrisy or not, look at yourself. How people look at you and how are you deep inside. If your inside is worse than your outside, be careful. This is a sign of hypocrisy.
So be careful. In this case, work so that your inside and what you do in secret and what people cannot see become better than your outside or at least the same. But if your inside, if your deep inside worse than your outside, be very careful. Verse number 54. قُلْ أَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولَ فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْهِ مَا حُمِّلَ فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْهِ مَا حُمِّلَ وَعَلَيْكُمْ مَا حُمِّلْتُمْ وَإِن تُطِيعُوهُ تَهْتَدُوا وَمَا عَلَى الرَّسُولِ إِلَّا الْبَلَاغُ الْمُبِينَ Say, obey God. And obey the messenger. If you turn away, know that he is responsible for the duty placed upon him. And you are responsible for the duty placed upon you. If you obey him, you will be rightly guided. But the messenger's duty is only to deliver the message clearly. <coughs> so here the verse tells me to obey Allah and to obey the messenger. To obey Allah, you need to trust Allah. Trust that he's the all-wise. So not everything that you are told to do by Allah, you will be able to understand the wisdom behind it. Because when you understand the wisdom behind something, you do it easily. But when you don't understand the wisdom of something, for example, when a woman doesn't understand the wisdom of the hijab, she finds it hard. See, so you have to trust Allah that he is the all-wise even if you don't understand the wisdom, you will be able to obey because you know that he knows better than you. So you need also to trust that he loves you. Allah loves us. Allah loves the human beings. Allah loves his creation. He created us and he made us the top of creation, the best creation. And he gave us everything to be serving us in order that we can do our duties. So he did not create us and favor us above all the creation to torture us at the end with laws and verdicts that make our life difficult. No, these laws and verdicts are not to make our life difficult, but to make our life easier and safer and better, even if we do not understand the wisdom. So you have to trust Allah in order to be able to obey Allah. You cannot obey him if you don't trust that he loves you and trust his wisdom. At the same time, we have to trust the Prophet and we spoke about that by trusting the Sunnah and by uh, uh, obeying his commands in the authentic Sunnah. Authentic Sunnah. And there is also scholars who do tarbiyah for us. And we listen to them and we learn from them. We have to obey them too as long as we stick to the conditions of obedience. So obeying anyone else beside the, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet, there are conditions that you should be very careful of. Number one, the command of your murabbi or your scholar should not be a sin. He should not tell you to do, to do a sin. If he tells you to do a sin, don't obey. That no creature should be obeyed if he commands disobeying Allah. If the command is about worship, if he tells you to worship somehow, obey him if what he's saying is legislated by the Quran or the Sunnah. But if he tells you, no, we just try to worship Allah like that in a certain way, you do a certain way when you do dhikr and then you will feel like you are, excuse me, Find me this in the Quran or the Sunnah. If you find me this, I will obey. If you don't find it to me, I'm not going to obey. You just try it. You will feel so beautiful. Well, some people feel beautiful also when they drink. This doesn't mean that this is right. People, people feel beautiful also when they sniff heroin. This doesn't mean that it's right. So I'm not going to try anything when it comes to worship. You need to understand that worship is haram. Except what is ordained from it. So you cannot worship Allah in a way that Allah did not tell you how to, to, to do it. That's it. All dealings are halal except what Allah told us not to do. 
all dealings are halal except what Allah forbade. Worship is the opposite. All types of worship are forbidden except what Allah ordained. So I'm not going to try a new type of worship at all. And there were types of worship that are not ordained on us. Like for example, Lady Maryam, one of her acts of worship that is mentioned in the Quran is to abstain from talking. And when uh, the Jews asked her, why aren't you speaking to us? Allah told them in the Quran to make a sign that she is fasting. So there was a type of fasting, which is fasting from speaking. Now we don't have this. So you cannot fast from speaking and think that you will be uh, uh, rewarded by Allah. We don't have this type of uh, fasting. Okay, that was something before. The intention should be to please Allah. So when this scholar or this murabbi tells you to do something, the intention should be to please Allah. وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَيُؤْتُوا الزَّكَاةَ وَذَلِكَ الدِّينُ الْقَيِّمَةَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Though all they are ordered to do is worship God alone, sincerely devoting their religion to Him as people of true faith. Keep up the prayer and pay the prescribed alms, for that is the true religion. So the true religion is to do the acts of worship with sincerity, but not heedless and not without sincerity. Okay, of course we need to have good intentions, but sometimes some of our acts of worship will be seen by people. You cannot hide it. And then people will praise you definitely. So what do you do? Should I not do the act of worship then? Should I not do the good deed? Because I'm afraid from riyah, from being admired by others? There's a rule that says, Tark al-amal, khashyat al-riyah, riyah. Quitting the good deed to avoid pride is in itself pride. So if people will see you, and there is no other way to do this good deed secretly, let's do it and have good intentions deep inside. But don't quit doing the good deed because you're, uh, you want to avoid pride. So you avoid doing the deed itself. This in itself is the worst type of pride or a type of pride. And doing the good deed for people is shirk. So quitting the good deed to avoid pride is pride and doing the good deed to, uh, to, so that people may admire you is in itself shirk. We're speaking about worship. So we need to understand the etiquettes of worship. There are adab for the ibadah, adab for the ibadah. Obligations, the acts of worship that are obligatory, like praying five times a day, like fasting 30 days in Ramadan and so on, should be done openly. Go to the mosque and come back from the mosque. Don't try to hide from your neighbors so that they don't know that you're going to the mosque. No, you're going to do an obligatory prayer. Go to the mosque openly. You want to spend your zakah? Put a banner saying, I'm spending my zakah. And keep giving people the zakah because this is an obligatory act of worship. Any obligatory act of worship, do it openly. Any extra act of worship, like praying the sunnah, praying the nafilah, fasting Monday and Thursday or the three days in the middle of the month, these things should be done secretly. So these are the adab of the worship. Second, when you finish an act of worship, when you like do Qiyam al-Layl tonight, don't be very proud of yourself because you did Qiyam al-Layl. Don't be very satisfied with your act of worship that you did because who knows, maybe Allah did not accept it. So when you do an act of worship, any act of worship, maybe let it be obligatory or not, you should be between two feelings. Al-Khawfu worry that maybe it's not accepted because my intention was not 100% pure and hope that still Allah accepts it with all my shortcomings because Allah is the most merciful and the most uh, uh, generous but don't be proud of yourself don't say see 
I finished the whole Quran. Allah chose you to do that. Allah made it easy for you to do that. So be, don't be proud of yourself. That's why after the Salah, what did the Prophet say? After, immediately after the, 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 the Salah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. Why? Did you do anything wrong? You just prayed. Yes. He is between the feeling of al-khawfu wa raja, worry that maybe Allah did not accept, and hope that Allah accepts. So as soon as you do a good deed, an act of worship, you say, Astaghfirullah. The Prophet used to do Astaghfirullah, Istighfar three times after prayer. He used to say Istighfar a hundred times every day. A hundred times every day. One of the adab of worship is to be moderate. Don't go very hard on yourself. Be moderate when you worship. The Prophet entered the mosque and he saw a rope. He said, what's that? They said, this belongs to Zainab, his daughter. She comes here and she prays all night. And then when she feels tired, she holds to the rope so that she can like stand on her feet. He said, untie it. Let one of you pray whenever he has energy for that. And when he gets tired, let him sleep or take rest. Untied. It's not allowed. So don't go very hard on yourself like that. Be moderate. Always be moderate. <coughs> the verse says, فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْهِ مَا حُمِّلَ وَعَلَيْكُمْ مَا حُمِّلْتُمْ وَإِن تُطِعُوهُ تَهْتَدُوا وَمَا عَلَى الرَّسُولِ إِلَّا الْبَلَاغُ الْمُبِينَ Say, obey God and obey the messenger, and if you turn away, know that he is responsible for the duty placed upon him, and you are responsible for the duty placed upon you. Amazing. Some people say, no, we will disobey Allah to provoke the messenger. He, he will not be affected. He will not be affected. If you don't want to disobey Allah, disobey Allah. You will be paying for this. You will be, no one else will be paying for this. <laughs> Few days ago, there were people in Egypt calling for taking off hijab. They said all women should go out in the street and take off their hijab to provoke the ikhwan. Do it if you want. They, this will not harm the, uh, the, the Muslims or the Muslim brothers in any way. This is harming yourself. So this, is, this verse talking about ridiculous people who think that by disobeying Allah, they are provoking the believers. Do it. <laughs> Do it if you want. It will not affect anyone. When someone is advising you, when someone is calling you to Allah, it doesn't mean that when you, dis when you disobey Allah, you're harming him in any way. At all. فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْهِمَا حُمِّلَ وَعَلَيْكُمْ مَا حُمِّلْتُمْ وَإِن تُطِيعُوهُ تَهْتَدُوا It's a beautiful word. Allah says, and if you obey him, if you obey the messenger, you will be guided. It's like the guidance of Allah is like milestones that are put on a road or when you're traveling you see it tells you Manchester uh, right exit you take the right exit and then it tells you keep going 25 miles or the, your tom tom okay okay so the guidance of Allah is like the instructions that are given to you in a tom tom you may obey and you may not you are free to obey or not so Allah says he descended the guidance it is in the Quran and in the Prophets' orders. If you obey, you will be guided. If you don't obey, you will not be guided. You will take the wrong exit and you will go somewhere else and keep uh, driving. You will not find yourself in Manchester by coincidence. See? And the only, the only responsibility or the only duty of the messenger is to propagate the message clearly. It is not 
the responsibility of it wasn't the responsibility of Prophet Muhammad to make people Muslim. It's not his responsibility, just to propagate the message clearly. He used to feel sorry when he gives a lesson or a presentation about Islam and people do not believe. So Allah told him in the Quran. Are you going to kill yourself of sorrow if they don't believe? Which means it's not your job. So it was not the job of Prophet Muhammad وسلم, to make people Muslim. So it's not our job to make people Muslim. What is our job? Like the Prophet, to propagate the message clearly to as many people as possible and in the most beautiful way. And then let the one who believes, believes. And let the one who disbelieves, disbelieves. Verse number 55. <laughs> وَلَيُبَدِّلَنَّهُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ خَوْفِهِمْ أَمْنًا يَعْبُدُونَنِي لَا يُشْرِكُونَ بِي شَيْئًا وَمَنْ كَفَرَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ فَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْفَاسِقُونَ God has made a promise to those among you who believe and do good deeds. He will make them successors to the land as he did those who came before him, before them. He will empower the religion he has chosen for them. He will grant them security or to replace their fear. They will worship me and not join anything with me. Those who are defiant after that will be the rebels. It's a very important verse. And misunderstanding this verse leads to a lot of extremism, actually. A lot of extremism. And it's a very important verse to understand because it talks about Allah's promise. So to reflect upon it, let's understand what is his promise and who are those who are promised. Number one, it's a promise for Allah, from Allah, therefore it has to happen. It has to come true. And it says, God has made a promise to who? To those among you who believe and do good deeds. Not just believe. Those whom belief is settled in their heart and is reflected upon their behavior. How do I say so? The verse, the verse says so in the end of the verse. It says, they worship me and they do not associate anyone with me. Which means in all their matters they do not associate anyone with Allah. Don't think that shirk is to have an idol at home like Buddha. No. There's a lot of forms of shirk. If you think anyone will help you besides Allah, that's shirk. If you think that money will help you Besides Allah, this is shirk. If you think that anyone can make you happy besides Allah, if you may think that anyone can harm you ex except with what Allah has ordained for you, this is shirk. So the main concept of Tawheed is to believe that La ilaha illallah, I will not worship anyone except Allah. I will not fear anyone except Allah. Because if you fear anyone except Allah, besides Allah, this is shirk. I will not hope from anyone except Allah. I will not ask anyone except Allah. I will not love anyone except Allah and what Allah loves. And I will not dislike anything except what Allah dislikes. This is real tawheed here. If you are like that, you are promised. What are you promised? That Allah will make you a successor to the land. To become the khulafa. What is khilafa? This is also a 
big issue that is causing a lot of it's it's became very messy because of what people are saying about it number one allah created us for three main things number one to worship him as he said i have not uh, created jinn and ins except to worship me what is next to develop the earth allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he created you from earth and he wanted you to develop it. Those three letters, when they come before any verb in Arabic language, means asking the verb. means asking maghfira, asking forgiveness. Istahraja, asking ikhraj, asking obtaining istamara it means asking i'mar asking development so allah created you to develop the earth by going into laboratories by seeking knowledge by doing trial and error things and and developing the earth the third reason is al-khilafa وَيَسْتَخْلِفَكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَيَنْظُرَ فَيَنْظُرَ كَيْفَ تَعْمَلُونَ and he wants to make you successors to the land and see what you do, how you behave, to see how you behave when you become successors to the land. Okay, who deserves Khilafah? According to Ar-Raghib al-Asfahani, who's a great wise scholar, to deserve Khilafah, you need to have the virtues of the Sharia. The virtues of the Sharia, number one, wisdom. You cannot be a Khalifa if you're not wise, unless we become a wise ummah, we will not be an ummah mustakhlafa. We will not be khulafa fil ard. We will not be victorious. We will not, unless we have number one wisdom. Second, establishing justice between people, all people. Not between Muslims, between all people. Third, perfection and excellence to do things perfectly and in an excellent way. These are the three virtues of the Khilafah. Sayyid Qutb said, and this name is very controversial, and many of the extremist leaders, they quote him, so they actually tarnished the image of this, of this scholar, as if he is someone who, uh, uh, promotes violence or promotes terrorism, which is not true. Sayyid Qutb spoke about true Khilafah, saying it is not only about sovereignty, victory, conquest, and rule, but rather all of these, if they are to be used in development, not destruction. If they are to be used in establishing justice, not oppression if they are to be used in spreading safety and security, not fear. So when you see people claiming to be establishing the Khilafah, but non-Muslims run away from their houses because they are afraid to be enslaved or afraid of being killed, then this is not Khilafah. The true Khulafah of the Prophet wasallam. When, when they opened the land and they conquered Iraq and Egypt and the Roman Byzantine and the Persians, what happened to the non-Muslims? Non-Muslims actually enjoyed safety and security under the rule. Non-Muslims actually were not enslaved under the rule. These, even Umar al-Khattab did not take the land of Iraq and divide it and give it to the conquerors and to the Mujahideen. He said, no, keep it for the people. That's why these peoples embraced Islam. But those people who claim to be establishing a khilafah and just spreading fear and scaring people from Islam and Muslims, this cannot be a khilafah. This cannot be a khilafah. And we need to understand that the khilafah was 30 years after Prophet Muhammad After that, Mulk Adud. After that, all the way until the Ottomans. We called it Khilafah Uthmaniyya, Khilafah Amawiyya, Khilafah Abbasiyya. It was not Khilafah. It was kingship. 
Those were kings. We call them khulafa, but they were literally kings. True khilafa was the guided khalifs, the four guided khalifs. There were good kings, by the way, later on, and bad kings. But they, this was not khilaf, not true khilaf, because of many things. It's not their place now, but this is something that we needed to touch upon as long as we talked about this verse that speaks about the promise of Allah to make us mustakhlafina fil ard, successors to the land. We will not have this, we will not get this promise from Allah, we, this will not come true unless we have wisdom, unless we establish uh, justice, and unless we do things with perfection and excellence. And of course, this, according to the ayah, is given, Allah's promise was given to Muslims when faith was so deep in their hearts and reflected upon their behavior. But when they started to believe in others besides Allah, which is minor shirk, Allah left them to fall down and become weak. So Muslims started to fall down and become weak when the belief, when the faith weakened in the hearts. Verse number 56, and probably this will be the last one today. وَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةَ وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ As you see here, now we're talking to believers. Number 53 was the last verse that talks about hypocrites in the whole surah. And now Allah is addressing the believers. Telling them, keep up the prayer. Pay the prescribed zakah, alms. And obey the messenger so that you may be given mercy. Prayer will charge you with Iman, charge you out with Iman. And spending your zakah, you are fighting the desire of loving money, loving wealth. So you have to be victorious. You have to charge your heart with Iman and you have to go against your own desires by spending and, and against the desire of greed. And obeying the messenger because the verse says, and obey the messenger. Again, in, in, uh, uh, emphasizing on the importance of the obedience of the messenger. Obeying the messenger in minor and major commands. Everything. There are sunan that we should follow of the Prophet ﷺ, we should follow. There are, for example, sunan al-fitrah, which is to have a beard, to trim your mustache, to train your nails. Sometimes I see Muslims who have long nails and they are dirty. So how come? To remove pubic hair, to remove armpit hair. A Muslim is clean. So these are things that should be very, uh, are, they are as important as the sunan of the, of, 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 of the salah and the sunan of siyah. If we do that, this is a symbol of submitting to Allah. You follow, whether you understand or not. And then the verse says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ So that you may receive mercy. Mercy in this life, by getting rid of corruption, envy, fear, wickedness, everything. And mercy on the day of judgment. By avoiding the anger of Allah and the punishment of Allah. And the last verse today, I know that you want me to end. خلاص. No, خلاص. That's, uh, this next verse is the last one, inshallah. After that, there's a new theme, which will be for next time, inshallah. لا تحسبن الذين كفروا معجزين في الأرض ومأواهم النار ولا بئس المصير. Do not think that the disbelievers can escape God on earth, which means they cannot frustrate God's plans. If Allah decides to conquer them or to punish them, Allah will do that. So don't think that because they are so strong that they can escape from God's punishment. The fire will be their final home an evil end. This comes after what? After the verse that talks about that we can be successors to the land if we are, have faith in the heart. No one can say, no, come on, we will never do that. You, can, you can't imagine how strong the others are. Allah tells you, no, don't think that they can frustrate Allah's plans. You just have faith in your heart and 
excel in what you're doing, be a perfectionist and have wisdom. If you do so, Allah will make you successor to the land. And the, the verse speaks about victory in this life, not only in the year after. He says, it says, لا تحسبن الذين كفروا معجزين في الأرض do not think that the disbelievers can escape God on earth and the fire will be their final home. So the verse is saying Allah will punish them in this life and in the hereafter. Don't worry, you just do your job, do your duties towards Allah and Allah will give you victory.